At North Point Community Church, we are passionate about helping our community move toward a life fully devoted to Jesus. And we hope this message helps you do that. Thank you for tuning in. Morning, church. How are we doing today? Doing good? All right, guys. Hey, uh, uh, we have an ongoing battle with a two-year-old in my household. Oh, you guys have two-year-olds. Cool. Good to know. All right. Good stuff. Uh, she's actually watching online right now. Hi, sweetheart. Love you. Daddy loves you. She's probably shouting out the TV. Uh, but we have an ongoing battle going on right now because around a year ago, our pediatrician told us that she needed to have her eyes checked out. And so uh, we love our daughter. We're decent parents. So we decided we would go and do that. We would go get her eyes checked. And if I'm being honest with you, it was zero fun to do, right? Like lots of, of tears, lots of anger, lots of frustration, lots of lollipops because we need lollipops to happen. And so what's happened is since then, we've had four different eye appointments with two different specialists. And what they told us is that she needed to have glasses, right? Which is a common thing. Kiddos wear glasses all of the time. And, and so we did all this and we go back and back to appointments to see if in fact these glasses were working. Uh, my wife and I at the time knew nothing about like eye care or glasses other than like they're supposed to help you see well, which is like the tip of the iceberg. There's thousands of different things you could go wrong or be diagnosed with. Or it's just incredibly overwhelming to us at this point in time. And what we found out is the good news is the glasses are working. Yay. We're so excited about that, right? Uh, the, yeah, thank you. Uh, the bad news is we have gone through several pairs of glasses because I have a two-year-old who hates them. And so she looks at them, and as soon as we turn our back, she just chucks them as far as she can every single time. So we found out like where all the discount glasses sites are and like all of those kinds of things. She's got bifocals, and it's so hard for her to like understand the focus difference between the bottom half and the top half. And so we've lost them. We've broken them. We've just kind of ignored them for a while, like whatever we've needed to do to survive at times with glasses, because truthfully, correcting your vision is so much harder than I realized. And it takes a lot more money than I realized, and it takes a lot longer than I realized, but eventually the glasses will help. They promised me that eventually the glasses will help. So we're doing the hard work right now of reminding a two-year-old to consistently wear her glasses so that her vision gets better and that she can begin to see things the way that they're supposed to be, which means a lot of reminders and a lot of appointments and a lot of reminders and a lot of different glasses and a lot of reminders and a lot of searching for glasses. And a lot of reminders for her, right? It's all good. We love it. We love it here. Uh, we're starting this new series this month. We're calling it Sticky Notes. I love Sticky Notes. Anybody else here a big Sticky Note fan? Right, you got sticky notes all over the place. Man, sticky notes are the greatest thing ever. I put all of my lists on sticky notes, whether it's a like, grocery list or uh, information about somebody that I need to, to remember or things that I need to get done or, or just about anything else. Sticky notes are the best. They hold small pieces of information on them, right? They're, they're really tiny, so you got to be concise with what you put onto a sticky note here. But whatever I write down on a sticky note is incredibly important to me because I want to remember it later on. During this series, we're going to look at four of the shortest books in the entire New Testament. They're small, they're concise, and they're full of incredible information that you are going to want to remember later on. 
So this morning, we're going to start with the book of Philemon. If you've got your Bible, pop that puppy open. It's going to be in the back quarter of the Bible there for you. It's a short letter. In fact, the entire book of Philemon is only one chapter long. Uh, so if you have that, pop that open. As Chris said before, the North Point app will have notes you can follow along with us and read as well. Um, but it's important before we jump into the book of Philemon, we want to, I want to introduce you guys uh, to kind of three main people that we're going to talk about today, the three main people in the book of Philemon. The first uh, is Paul. Paul is an apostle, and he is a missionary who planted churches all over the Roman Empire. He actually writes this short letter while he is in prison in Rome for proclaiming the gospel of Jesus, and he's writing to a guy named Philemon, right? That's why the letter is called Philemon. Makes some sense. Uh, Philemon is a wealthy man who lives in Colossae and came to know Jesus when Paul stopped by and started talking about him and the the gospel there. And and Philemon fell in love with Jesus at that moment. And since then, he had opened up his house for others to gather and to worship and to learn more about Jesus. That in the first century church, uh, there weren't church buildings like we are in today to go to and worship. And so most of the time, they would gather together in homes, including Philemon's home. And then the last guy we're going to talk about is a guy named uh, Onesimus. Uh, Onesimus was a slave of Philemon. It appears that he actually stole from Philemon and fled to Rome, which is where he met Paul. And Paul told Onesimus all about Jesus, and he became a Christ follower who in turn became a very, very big helper to Paul. Now, it's important to recognize uh, what's happening with slavery in the first century here. Uh, Philemon involves slavery, like we're going to read about it here, but it's not necessarily like a manifesto on slavery. It's it's more dealing with the cultural reality of slavery and getting to the the heart issues that changes more than than just slavery. In fact, we would would recognize here that a, a third of all citizens in first century Roman population were, in fact, slaves. Like today, uh, Detroit would be nicknamed the Motor City, right? Grand Rapids uh, is called the Furniture City. You guys know what Lansing's nickname is? Mid-Michigan. Come on, man. That's like super lame, right? We got to work on that, right? My hometown where I'm from is uh, it's called the Queen City. Uh, Rome at this time was famously called the common cesspool of the world by historian Sallust, Right? It's like a terrible nickname to have. That's kind of the culture that's happening in Rome at this point in time. Uh, slaves in, in Roman and the Roman uh, rule here had no legal status. They actually came uh, from conquered lands or from kidnapping or owning a debt that could not be paid. And that treatment of slaves uh, varied greatly from uh, working in mines or other really labor-intensive jobs to, to peasant farmers. Or they could even be teachers or scribes. Or clerks, and while slaves in this time period could be treated poorly without any consequence, by the time that the New Testament is being written in this in this area here, slavery is actually uh, changing. That slave masters realized that contented slaves actually worked better, and so they began to be more lenient in how they would treat slaves. Uh, but regardless of all of that, they were still viewed as property instead of people. An important thing to know here too is that a runaway slave could be whipped could be branded on their face, could be chained or forced to wear an iron neck collar or restrained by having their legs broken. They could be sold off to the mines or more than likely just simply killed. Onesimus is a runaway slave to Rome where he meets Paul and in turn begins to follow Jesus. And it's because of Onesimus here that Paul actually sends him back to Philemon 
to make amends for stealing and leaving. So he sends this letter for Onesimus to present to his former slave master here so that he can read it and he can share it with the church. And this letter is incredibly well written to help Philemon understand things like forgiveness and equality in Christ. It deals with with being wronged. It deals with the real solution to slavery. And it shows a beautiful picture of the gospel of Jesus. And the reason that Paul does all this is he is working to change the vision of Philemon and to change the vision of the church in Colossae. So let's jump in this morning. You have your Bible or the app there. Uh, We're just going to start in verse 1 and work our way through for a while. Uh, It says this. It says, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Paul starts his letter off with really just a typical greeting that would happen. It's a typical acknowledgement of who the letter is coming from, who it would be written to, and then he just kind of throws a blessing onto these guys. Uh, we know Timothy here is a fellow missionary that's journeying with Paul. Uh, Aphia and Archippus are most likely to be Philemon's wife and son, so he's just kind of writing to the family. Uh, the interesting part here is that Paul also addresses the church in your house. And the reason that he does that is because he wants to make sure that everybody actually reads this letter. That the entire church hears what he's writing here because everybody has a benefit from it. Not just Philemon. He wants to make sure everybody hears what's going on here. He goes on in verse 4. He says, I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers. Because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Man, Paul is basically just pointing out that he is incredibly thankful for Philemon, for his, his growth in his relationship with Jesus, for the love and for the care that he has for those in the church by, by opening up his home to so many others and loving and caring for them and for his partnership that he has with Paul and kind of sharing Jesus throughout the world. Paul's acknowledging that he and Philemon, man, they are brothers together in God's family and that he's so proud of the person that Philemon's come. It's basically like, like from Rome, Paul's just giving him like this big high five, like, psh, like, hey, you see Philemon over there? It's my boy, right? All right, he's like super proud of him and he's just trying to share all that. So if you're Philemon and you read that, you're like, oh, Paul, stop it. You're being silly, man, right? Like you feel a little good about this, right? But here comes the hard part. <laughs> and Paul's gonna follow it up with the ask. Here's the showstopper for him. Verse eight, he says this, accordingly, Though I am bold enough in Christ to command you what is required, yet for love's sake I prefer to appeal to you, I, Paul, an old man, and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Paul starts out, I love this, he starts out by saying, hey, as an apostle of Jesus, like, I can tell you what to do. I got the authority, I'm open and I'm brazen enough, I can just tell you what to do. God has given me that authority, but I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to force you to do anything because that's kind of a short-term solution. Instead, instead I'm going to ask you to do the right thing, and I'm going to ask you to do the right thing for the right reasons. It kind of feels like Paul is beginning to, to parent a little bit in this letter. He says, I can, I, you know, like, when I'm at home, I can force my kiddos to do stuff, right? I can make them apologize when they knock other kids off of the playset. 
I can make them share their toys with others. I can force them to eat their vegetables at dinner time. And those, those are all important things to be able to do. But the problem is forcing is a temporary solution. That if I want to be a good parent, I'll actually do the hard and the time-consuming work of helping to mold the character of my kids into somebody who is, who is generous, who is kind, and who, who is healthy, as opposed to forcing obedience in a moment. In order to do that, man, you spend so much more time talking about the why than forcing the what that needs to be done right now. And honestly, it's messier, but it lasts a whole lot longer. Paul is a good parent, and so he takes the time to invest, and he explains his why. He says, look, I'm, I'm here, I'm speaking on behalf of Onesimus, your runaway property that stole from you. And Onesimus is actually the guy who is delivering this letter from Paul. He's the one who has taken the letter from Paul and he is giving it to Philemon here. And I, and I just got to imagine if you're Philemon, like, like you start reading this letter and I, you stop for a second. You're kind of giving the side eye to Onesimus like, what's going on here? Like something's, something's not right here. How is Paul, this guy that is like loved and respected and cared about and means so much to me, connected with this guy who like stole from me and abandoned me and left me? Like this is, this is weird. There's two very different worlds colliding for Philemon in this moment. Paul says he became Onesimus' father, and he's not talking real father, obviously. What he means here uh, is that he's more of a spiritual father, saying that it's because of Paul that Onesimus came to know about Jesus, that Paul has the same level of influence and care for this runaway as he does for the nice, prestigious Philemon. Paul is actually beginning to show commonality between these two men who are from two very separate worlds. And so he goes on in verse 11. He says, formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. Uh, if you look at the original language here, Paul actually uses a really fun play on words here. Uh, Onesimus was a common slave name that simply meant useful. Useful. Like slaves didn't have uh, an identity. They were viewed as property, and so they didn't have very distinct names at all. Uh, it was just another demeaning way of showing how unimportant this guy actually was in the world. And so Paul is saying that, hey, you know what? Useful was actually useless to you because he stole from you and he ran away. But don't worry, I'm sending him back as useful again because this guy is a changed man from Jesus. Like Paul's a really good writer, and so he's got word plays going on here. Paul says that he would love to keep Onesimus with him, to have another companion who's there to, to help him along the way, somebody who's gonna journey with him, somebody that's gonna encourage him, somebody that he can pour into and watch grow, somebody who's on board with sharing Jesus in the world, somebody that's just company while you're in chains in prison. But yet Paul knows that Onesimus has done a wrong that's gotta be made right. So he sends him back. See, there's actually great, a great deal of character in that. Like there's a very, very good chance that if you're Onesimus, man, you could have just, just stayed away forever. You could have run, you could have hid, you didn't have to go back, you could be gone, people would never find you. Rome is a, is a heavily populated area, you're far away. You could have gotten away with this. There's huge risk in going back to those that hurt you. There's usually fear in going back to those that hurt you. But the problem is that without reconciliation, 
There's no relationship. Without reconciliation, there is no relationship. In fact, man, I know too many people who have no relationship uh, with a parent or with a sibling or, or with a child because of something that happened years ago. Whether it was a fight over money or a stupid comment that was made or, or not being there when they were expected to show up and, and it ended the relationship because they never sat down to reconcile it. They never sat down to talk it out. Being stubborn and being unwilling to listen is a path that, man, it usually leads to, to broken relationships and to regret down the line. See, it's important to note here uh, that Paul is not endorsing slavery by doing this. In fact, uh, if you read more of Paul's writings, he actually argues against slavery in Galatians chapter three, where he says, hey, that in Christ there is no distinction between slave and free, and yet he sends Onesimus back to Philemon so that together they can see that they are actually one family in Jesus, so that grace and forgiveness and reconciliation can be made. It's not an endorsement of slavery, brother. It's an endorsement for the unity as believers in Jesus, regardless of any social status or differences that we may have. See, there's a lot in the world that separates us today, right? There's geography, there's race, politics, nationality, preferences, money, status, education, like, like you name it. Yet as followers of Jesus, we are united together. If we keep reading through the Bible at the very end, the book of Revelation uh, tells us that every nation, tribe, people, and language is gonna be represented in God's family. But yet it can be so tempting, even in the church, to look at the things that divide us when what unites us is bigger than any of that. What Paul is arguing here uh, is that what deconstructs unjust social norms is not changing laws or social reform, but rather it's hearts that have been changed by Jesus. Hearts that have been changed by Jesus. That the solution to sin and all of its problems, all of its results is not better laws. It's not uh, social reform. It's not public pressure. It's knowing Jesus as Lord and Savior and being changed by him. That you have to cure the disease and not just treat the symptoms. It's why Paul won't force Philemon to accept this runaway thief, but will appeal to his heart as a child of God. He says in verse 14, but I prefer to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. For this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me. But man, how much more to you both in the flesh and in the Lord. Paul's emphasizing here that he's not acting as an arbitrator. His goal is not the peaceful return of property, but that he is pleading for Onesimus because he cares deeply for him. He's seen change in him. He has been helped by him. They are brothers together for the gospel of Jesus, that this is not a useless slave. This isn't some thief or some lawbreaker. This isn't some property that was lost. This 
is a fellow brother who knows Jesus, has been changed by Jesus, is committed to the mission of Jesus. That who Onesimus is and how he should be viewed is radically different than how the rest of the world sees him. Paul even goes on to allude to the idea here that God was working all along in this situation. Now, it can feel a little strange when we think about it to say that, man, God was working in the life of a guy who was breaking the law and running away and stealing, doesn't it? Like, like how does God, how does a just God condone breaking the law? See, the verb that Paul actually uses in this passage is, is actually a passive verb here. And what it's pointing out is the idea that, man, God is actually working behind the scenes here, that he's working through both what is good and what is wrong to orchestrate what is right. God does not sin, God does not condone sin, yet he is powerful enough to use sinful events to create good. If you go back to the beginning of the Bible in the book of Genesis, it tells one of my, my favorite stories ever. It's the life of Joseph, and Joseph was a younger brother who was sold into slavery by his older brothers. I got an older brother. Those guys are jerks, right? So he sold the younger brother into slavery. And you know what? It was sin. It was wrong to do. Yet God used that sin to put Joseph in a place of influence that he could save thousands of lives. God doesn't sin, but he takes what is good, he takes what is wrong to make what is right. Brokenness is a part of all of our lives, whether uh, it's a decision that we've made, whether it's the result of somebody else, whether it's just a part of living in a cursed world. Look, bad things happen. Bad things happen. I, I recently have lost loved ones to a terrible disease that we've all been fighting for a couple years now, right? It's not because she was a bad person. It's not because of what somebody else did. It's because the world's broken. And you know what? Bad things happen. That doesn't mean God doesn't care. It doesn't make God cruel. It doesn't mean that this is the end. See, God is powerful enough. He's caring enough and loving enough to take broken situations and to turn them into the right kind of good. Whether it's a bad report from a doctor or a pain that a loved one had caused in your life or just a stupid decision that you made that wound up causing so much hurt, and God is still at work. Jesus is moving in every situation of your life because he cares and loves and is able to make incredible things out of broken resources. So keep on trusting and keep on watching because he'll keep on moving. Paul is also pointing out here that because God was working in this brokenness, that this man is returning to Philemon is no longer just a slave. He's no longer just a piece of property. He's family now. This idea on some level had to stun Everybody who heard it, everybody who would have read this letter right at this time, the value and the worth and the position and the identity that everybody ascribed to Onesimus was based on social status or, or finances or duty or the family that he would have been born into. And yet Paul is showing that because of Jesus, his value and his identity are now in 
Jesus, that his worth is from Jesus, that he is more than a slave. He is adopted into the family of God, and he's a part of the same family as Philemon and everybody else in their church. And this idea completely destroys the social construct of where value lies. And it shows that as Christ followers, what matters and what brings us together is Jesus. Everything else is just minor. See, there's an incredible amount of pressure uh, in our world today to find your identity. You gotta identify yourself by your politics, your sexuality, where you live, where you work, your race, your beliefs on certain social or medical issues. And you know what? It's fine. And at times, it can be helpful to have opinions and beliefs on all of these things. But as Christ followers, none of them define us. None of them define who we are. The core of who I am is a child of God, adopted into the family of God because of Jesus. Out of that core, the value, everything else flows from there. That's what shapes every aspect of my life. And man, if I rely on anything else, it's lacking. Anything else is just not going to cut it. Anything else isn't going to fulfill or last. It's why Paul argues that Philemon receive Onesimus here, not because the law is wrong, not because of public pressure may want it, but because they are both rooted in Jesus, and as such, they are brothers in Jesus. It goes on in verse 17. He says, so if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. Yes, brother, I, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. I love this, man. Paul is so passionate about helping Philemon understand the importance of accepting his brother Onesimus, that he actually says, I will cover his debt. See, we assume that, that Onesimus stole from Philemon because of this, this passage here. And from prison, Paul is writing and offering to take the debt of Onesimus on himself. See, Paul would have had somebody transcribing, had him, had him writing for him because he's in prison at this point in time. But apparently at this point, he actually takes the pen or whatever writing device they had and he writes down, I will repay it in his own hand because he wants it communicated how important that is. And what is so cool about this moment is that it's a glimpse of the gospel. Like, think for a second what is going on here. We've got Philemon, who is the master, who is in charge here. And Onesimus wrongs Philemon by taking from him and leaving. It's failure. Onesimus meets Paul, who shares about Jesus and offers to pay for Onesimus' crimes. It's intercession. Onesimus then goes back to Philemon. Repentance. Paul sends a letter asking for Philemon not to hold his past against him. Forgiveness. Paul also asks for Philemon to accept him as a brother in Jesus. It's restoration. Guys, that's the gospel in a nutshell. Failure, intercession, repentance, forgiveness, 
restoration. That's the gospel. What Paul is writing about in the story that he's telling here, that's our story. You and I are thieves and slaves to sin, and Jesus is offering to pay our way so that we can be restored into a right relationship with God the Father. That the book of Philemon is, is a letter to a master about accepting a slave who wronged him, but Paul has it read to the entire church, and it is in our Bible today because it is a reminder of the love and the sacrifice that Jesus has for you and for me. It's a beautiful reminder that no matter what you've done, no matter where you've run off to, what lives in your past, how broken you are, how others may view you, God loves you. Jesus loves you. And he laid himself down to pay your price so that you and I could be a part of the family of God. Now, we don't really know what goes on to happen with Onesimus. Some people say that he became a church leader. There's actually not great evidence of that, but but we do know that he delivered this letter. And I would assume that because we don't have anything anywhere else from Paul addressing this issue, that Philemon and the church in Colossae accepted him. And as a result, man, the church was better. Barriers were broken. Love was given and God was glorified. So here's the thing, guys. We need to fix our vision. We have to do some hard work of reminding ourselves to see others differently. We have to recalibrate our perception of people we've dismissed. And we got to recognize that God may have been doing a work that we just know nothing about. It's about more than forgiveness. It's developing a fresh set of eyes because of Jesus. It's recognizing that God is working and part of what he is working towards is gathering people, people who may seem really, really far away into his family. It is not easy teaching my daughter to wear her glasses so that her eyes get stronger. I have had to travel back to crazy places to search on the ground for glasses more times than I can count. I've had to remind her again and again And again, to put on her glasses, but I know, I know it'll help her. I know it'll change the way that she sees the world. And so we do the hard work. It is not easy to forgive people who've hurt us. It's not easy to return to reconcile broken relationships. It's not easy to view others as a work in progress that God is moving in the life of. But changing how we see others into how God views them will change how we see the world. It will change how we interact with the world, what we value in this world, and ultimately how God is able to use us in this world. Paul wrote to Philemon to to open his eyes to forgiveness and to show him unity in the church so that he and so many others like you and me would see that God is moving and doing incredible things to bring others closer to him. Do the hard work and watch as God changes the way that you see the world. Let's pray this morning. Father God, you are incredible. You are incredible, God, in that you are resilient. 
You never stop, you never give up, you continue to pursue us, God. No matter what we've done, no matter where we're at, no matter how anybody else thinks or views us, God, you value us, Father. God, may we cling to that and cling to your son, Jesus, Lord, to know that, that our value is not in anything this world has to offer, but it's in being a child of God. And may that move us, Lord, in ways that, that we care deeply about others, that we view others not by their preferences, not by where they grew up, not by their opinions, but we view others knowing that you are running after and pursuing them and love them as well. We love you, Jesus, and we pray in your name.